I'm just talking, just talking, just talking, just talking. Hello, and welcome back into the book room. My name is John Deegan. As we close out what has been an eventful and heartwarming Freedom to Read Week here in Canada, I just want to share with you a small part of the activity that went on around the country in celebration of our insistence in Canada that despite ongoing challenges and some disingenuous rhetorical sleight of hand around the issue of free expression, we actually do value our freedom to read, and passionately so. For me this week, there was no greater proof of that than the fact that in the middle of one of the worst blizzards of this winter, with downtown streets becoming increasingly undrivable, I know, because I was driving them, and the sidewalks all but impassable, a capacity crowd showed up for the Book and Periodical Council's Freedom to Read event at Glad Day Bookshop. This was an event called On the Front Lines, celebrating 35 years of Freedom to Read Week, and it featured a wonderful panel of four speakers all talking about different elements of the Freedom to Read battles in Canada over the last three and a half decades. The panel featured Vickery Bowles, city librarian for the Toronto Public Library, talking about the various challenges to free expression faced by the library community these days. Nancy Cooper, who's a writer, educator, and Indigenous literacy advocate, who spoke about the importance of Indigenous language rights and the past and present challenges faced by Indigenous authors in Canada. Marcus McCann, who's an author and a lawyer and co-owner of Glad Day Bookshop, which was the venue where the event took place. And Brian McLeod Rogers, media lawyer specializing in freedom of expression issues, who focused on the growth of anti-slap legislation designed to curb and discourage lawsuits intended to suppress expression. Since they were our hosts for the evening, I'd like to play for you the talk given by Marcus McCann of Glad Day Books. In the last episode of The Book Room, I mentioned the border seizure of books faced by Little Sisters Bookshop in Vancouver and the fact that they won a limited victory at the Supreme Court of Canada. Marcus McCann fills out the rest of that history, tying in Glad Day Books in Toronto, and their own historic struggles with obscenity laws and border seizures. Thanks to Marcus for allowing me to record and present this talk. The first voice you will hear is that of Becky Toyne, books columnist, editor, and radio personality, who was the MC for the evening. Next, I'm going to introduce Marcus McCann. Marcus McCann is a lawyer who practices in the areas of employment, human rights, and administrative law. He's also the author of three books of poetry, a past managing editor at Extra, and a current part owner of the Great Glad Day Bookshop. In 2018, he filed a complaint with the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal on behalf of families who opposed the plan by the provincial government to change sexual education in schools across the province. And I think you had a big day with it today. The jury's still out. The jury's still out, okay. Um, please welcome Marcus McCann. Thank you. I especially want to thank the organizers for having this event here, here at Glad Day. Glad Day is an interesting place to talk about censorship. At least three staff at Glad Day have been convicted of criminal obscenity for making available books, magazines, and videos at Glad Day. Criminal convictions. The first was Kevin Orr in 1982. That conviction at the trial at trial level was overturned on appeal, and eventually the Crown decided not to continue with a new set of charges. But in the 1990s, John and Ian, the owner and 
manager at the time, were both convicted of obscenity again in the 1990s for distributing Bad Attitude, a lesbian BDSM magazine. In some ways, it's not like Glad Day set out to be at the forefront of freedom of expression battles. The battles came to the bookstore, not the other way around. It was police officers who came to Glad Day in 1992 to rifle through the materials, and that's where they found Bad Attitude. They confiscated the magazine on site, and it was fully a month later that they came back to lay charges. Although Kevin Orr was able to fight the charges and he won, John Size was convicted. And well, as far as I know, he did not serve any time in jail. There was a fine associated, a $200 fine and a criminal record. There are two other, from a legal perspective, important sites of resistance that, that Glad Day has participated in. And maybe the, the more famous of them is about the seizure of books at the border. So that turned out to be more than a 20-year battle. But the first case that was decided on freedom of expression grounds was in 1987, and it was a Glad Day challenge. Glad Day challenged the seizure of a book called The Joy of Gay Sex at the Canadian border. Is it here? Yeah, just about when it's Oh, yeah, there it is. For sale tonight. <laughs> Good sales pitch. And again, it's not that, that Glad Day was going out and searching for this challenge. It came to them. In the 1980s, we're talking about 400 to 500 seizures. In 1990, one estimate says 75% of books imported into the country that were destined for gay and lesbian bookstores were detained, 75%. And so Glad Day continued to fight these challenges in part because it had to and not always with success. In 1993, there was a stinging decision from the Ontario Provincial Court they had challenged about eight different books that had been seized, and they lost on every one. Conclusory decision from, from the trial judge, ultimately not appealed. It was a tough road. Ultimately, the constitutional challenge that went up to the Supreme Court was a different gay and lesbian bookstore. It was Little Sisters in Vancouver. And we can debate the merits of the 2000 Little Sisters decision, but what's not debatable is that after the decision, the Canada Border Services Agency continued to detain gay and lesbian materials. And it did so in the full knowledge that our community's resources had been depleted in the fight. The, the third sort of category of cases that Glad Day was involved in involves film censorship. And many of you may remember that until fairly recently, films that were shown in Ontario were all rated you, with a letter or a number rating. The regime that was in place in the time, at the time required anybody who wanted to show a film or distribute a film to take it to the government so the government could watch it first. It was a kind of prior restraint, originally by literally called the censor board and then later by the 
film review board. And so, again, not necessarily looking for a challenge, an officer came into Glad Day and picked up a, a videotape and said, this hasn't been vetted by the government. And they, they took it away, right? And Glad Day said, not cool, and challenged it. And that decision, Glad Day won. This is in 2002. The court found, basically, that it was incredibly invasive to require everybody to submit their videos to a censor board before, before they could be shown. So Glad Day is an interesting place to think about censorship and what it means and how it impacts us. I think one of the lessons of the Glad Day battles, if I could call it that, is that censorship's never really about whether anyone is allowed to see something. It's always about who is allowed to see it. In the case of the Canada Border Services, they were opening up the books and looking at them. The border agents were allowed to see them, but we weren't. When the cases went to court, the lawyers got to see them, the books, the magazines, the videos. The judge got to see them, but the public didn't. I mean, under the theater, the Theaters Act, where there was the film review board, it required an entire bureaucracy of civil servants who watched all the videos, right? They were allowed to watch anything. In fact, they were required to watch anything. It was just the public that wasn't allowed to see. Another lesson, and I, I think this is important, we were, we're talking about the border for one of these, these three, the Canada Customs, we're talking about the border. The border is an important site when it comes to civil rights. We cannot care about the passage of books at the border and not care about the passage of people. That would be totally myopic. The border continues to be a site of terror and torment for so many for trans and non-binary people, for people living with HIV, for Muslims, for non people who are non-status, and reforms in border policy are urgently needed. Finally, I want to say something about sexuality. Sexuality is an important part of expression, and one that is very often censored. I just want to put it out there that sexual expression is valuable. It's good in and of itself, and also because of the things that it does. Sexual expression, especially queer expression, can break down the sexual monolith, can show examples of benign sexual variation, it essentially alleviating the loneliness of desire. Sexual expression is part of human flourishing. That is one of the unfinished businesses of the bad attitude decision. Now, as I was preparing for tonight, Annie passed along an article about books that are most commonly challenged in libraries today. And the books that are most commonly challenged in libraries are non-sexual LGBT books, books for children that have LGBT themes. And I think of this as an, as an anecdote, as a, a lesson for us, a reminder that queer people will not be saved by cleaning up what we say or how we say it, by self-censoring. Rather, 
instead by vigorously defending spaces, including spaces like Glad Day. Thank you all for coming. So that was a wonderful talk. And really, for me at least, showed just how far Canada has come from the old censor board days that I grew up in. Finally, and just very quickly, the evening ended with the presentation of the Writers' Union of Canada's annual Freedom to Read Award. I had the honor of announcing the winner and presenting a lovely crystal plaque. The winner of the 2019 FTR Award was the unanimous choice of the union's final selection process, and it was J.L. Richardson and her organization, the Festival of Literary Diversity in Brampton, Ontario. I'm going to assume you've heard of The Fold, since JL and her team have done an amazing job of growing its profile and activity over the last four years. The mandate of The Fold is to celebrate diversity in literature by promoting authors from marginalized communities in a unique and culturally diverse city. I believe Brampton is probably the most culturally diverse city in Canada. I think it has that designation. I've attended bits of The Fold each year, and I've witnessed firsthand the remarkable passion of its organizing team to broaden the invitation to both read and write in Canada. I can't think of a more deserving recipient for this award. J.L. Richardson, The Fold's founder and an author in her own right, was not at the event in Toronto as she was called away on other business, but Amanda LaDuke, The Fold's communications and development coordinator, accepted the award on behalf of J.L. and the entire Fold team. As an illustration of the generous spirit with which this team works, I want to play for you the last short bit of J.L. Richardson's acceptance speech as read by her colleague, Amanda LaDuke. So once again, this is Amanda reading the words written by J.L. So I wasn't allowed to read this whole speech in full before getting up here in front of everybody, and this is why. Um, I want to thank you, Amanda, for being unquestionably the hardest working member of the whole team. And that title is not debatable. It's debatable. <laughs> no one but you would question that. <laughs> Thank you for filling your daily commitment to this work, for filling it with important life. You will no doubt be questioning this praise as you read it in your voice and with your facial expression. <laughs> but let it be said, you are the heart that keeps this festival and me going through the mess and the chaos and the blessings. Thank you all again for this incredible honor. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. The Book Room is an occasional series of short podcasts about the book business, the issues, and some of the characters who make it unendingly interesting. Available individually and by subscription through SoundCloud, iTunes, and the Apple Podcasts app. And on my own website at jkdegan.com. As always, thanks to Sandy Crawley for the music. As I record this, the snow is once again falling on Toronto. Seems like a good day to read. Stay warm. We'll talk again soon. I'm just talking, just talking, just talking, just talking.